Hi, this is Mike Auer, and you're listening to The Optical. Welcome to The Optical, lucky number 13. This time we'll be talking about article in Cinefx number 10 called Stilling the Restless Animus by Paul Mandel about the making of Poltergeist. As always, thanks to Cinefx for providing us with access to these out-of-print back issues. And stay tuned for your chance to win a one-year print subscription to Cinefx later in the podcast. And if you hear something in the show that you don't know what it is or you'd like to know more, check out our website at opticalpodcast.com and we'll have the show notes there with lots of additional information and links to stuff about Poltergeist. While you're at it, if you want to subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or SoundCloud at username opticalpodcast, we would love that. And if you have any questions or want to give us feedback about the show, Write to us at feedback at opticalpodcast.com. But anyway, about that ghost. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so obnoxious. With their three children. <laughs> And something more. Here with me now to talk about Poltergeist is friend of the show, Mike Gower, who you might know as the designer of our Aperture logo, since I say that at the end of every episode. He's also been longtime freelance video designer and uh, a fan of movies in general. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Mark. This is great. I'm very excited to be here and talk to you about all these movies. You're joining us from, uh, what is it, Zaire, Zambia? (laughs) One of those Z countries. I'm going to start being offended here if you don't get, if you don't learn this. (laughs) So it's, it's actually, it is a desire actually doesn't exist anymore. Um, oh no. Yeah. But, uh, it, this is Zambia. 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 So yes, it's, um, used, used to be called Northern Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, is Southern Rhodesia, and this is Northern Rhodesia. It's a good country. A lot of copper comes out of here, but I'm, I'm trying to think of famous Zambians, but, um, I'm sure there are many. I'm, but, I'm sure you'll, you'll be one shortly. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> You've only been there a year. So <laughs> right. give it a little time. Right. <laughs> Oh, you did send uh, me the that great photo of you with the optical T-shirt, but uh, in front of these amazing, like flowering fuchsia yeah. pink. What yeah, are, are they're, they're, uh, they're the jacaranda jacaranda trees. So this is amazing. Oh, they're more purple, right? Yeah, they're purple. Yeah, it's it's really really crazy. I didn't even think they uh, they, they existed, but I've never seen them before. But yeah, around August September they start they start blooming, and it's just really amazing. It's like purple snow falling down. Just this crazy intense purple color too. Yeah, almost to like that. an effect. <laughs> you wouldn't even believe it. Actually, I think I, I remember it being mentioned in, a, in an episode of uh, what was it, Californication? They talked about the jacaranda tree. It had a little bit of a of a mention. David uh, Duchovny not not recognizing all the things around him, and his wife, his girlfriend, points out that this is a that the jacaranda, the very pretty purple flower. But yes, yeah, so I am in Zambia. 
with the beautiful Excellent. trees. Yes. So I, about, I think I'm probably about from where you are in, in Seattle, we're probably about 9,000 miles away across the equator, different hemispheres. Almost exactly halfway across the world. Yeah, almost. Right. It just sounds like, like we're in the same living room. That's the magic of Skype. Yes. So we both watched Poltergeist recently. I hadn't seen it in a while, and I was really amazed to see. I, I know there's been, I, I don't know what there is to it, some controversy about who actually directed Poltergeist. I know Toby Hooper directed it, but it seemed like even reading the Cinefix article uh, that there were a number of points where it's like, well, okay, Toby Hooper's directing it, but it's really obvious that Spielberg is making all of the creative decisions because the even the effects guys are like, well, we don't want to waste time talking to Toby first and then get rejected by Stephen. So let's just talk to Stephen first. Right. Yeah. They mentioned that a couple of times that, uh, yeah, that they were just, they would, they would ask. But I, I think there's just a huge difference between who had the vision here. I mean, it always seemed like it was Steven Spielberg's vision for the movie. Yeah. And so he was, you know, he was brought in. I think he probably would have directed it, I would imagine, except he had like, what, 100 movies going on during that year? Yeah, they were still wrapping up Raiders, and then he was just getting started on E.T. All, the, all at the same time as he was like on the set of Poltergeist, you know, practically every day, giving his input to that as well. And, yeah, they said he was on the on the set just about every day, except for I think three days or something when he was in Hawaii for Raiders, maybe. Um, so every single day that he could be there, he was there, um, and he and he definitely had exactly he he seemed to know exactly what he wanted to do. And there was something about him sending video messages from his office in L.A. as well. Yeah, the uh, what was it? The, the chats with Mr. Stephen, and he would do an yes. entire video of uh, what he wanted to see done, and he would do it hand puppets during his lunch hour. Yeah, so it actually seemed like really funny and like really good natured, and it seemed like he was able to pull those things off, mm-hmm. like be like extra particular, but not be thought of as like an evil genius or something that was, or someone who's like being extra particular about certain things. He actually did it in kind of a good natured way. Like he was having a good time, but I I don't know I I think Toby Hooper might get a little bit of short shrift if we if we looked at it that way because he directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and a couple years later he would direct Life Force, which you know is based on the novel Space Zombies. No, Space Vampires. That's it. I'm sorry, not zombies. Right. That was that was probably much later. No, yeah. <laughs> it was vampires then. Now it's zombies now. But I, but I do, I know what you mean. And the thing is, too, like Toby Hooper, I mean, he's, yeah, by all means, by all measure, he's a uh, horror flick guy. So I'm sure any of these things that we don't, that we don't hear about, I'm sure he was integral in, in creating a lot of the, uh, the tension and drama that was, that was in the movie. Yeah, so. I mean, well, Texas Chainsaw was only his second film, and then Poltergeist was his fifth. So it was still pretty early in his career, but I think, you know, he still had a pretty good vision for things, even at that point. Right. Um, but there, there is certainly still a lot of stuff in the film that really feels like Steven Spielberg that just, I, I'm not quite sure how to define it, but it's just, they're just the way some of the shots are built, even, uh, the way they're framed. And of course the editing is, I believe Michael Kahn edited this film as well. Who's edited like every Spielberg film. <laughs> so it's certainly going to feel like him a little bit. Right. Right. Like looking at it, you, you, you can see just the brilliance that, that they have in, in the movie that, that Steven Spielberg has added because there's just, there's so many of these iconic moments in the movie of like things that like, I actually, when I looked at it again, I'd forgotten like the, the remote control war with his, with his neighbor. I mean, like, <laughs> right. that is classic. 
you know? Yeah, and just like kind of the, you know, the the kids fighting around the dinner table, which is in every Steven Spielberg movie, you know? Right, right. And the, uh, I mean, well, even just like the guy coming up the street, like he borrowed the kid's bike so he could go get like a case of beer. And then he, you know, he the, the kids follow him with the remote control cars and mess him up. It's just really, really kind of campy fun. And, and, and just one of my other favorite parts in there with um, was when uh, Joe Beth Williams is walking through the kitchen and uh, Heather O'Rourke is looking directly at the, at, the, at the television, like right, right, really close. And it's just snow. Uh-huh. And she, she turns her and says, oh, you're going to ruin your eyes and flicks the channel to like Cowboys and Indians or like a World War II movie. <laughs> you're going to ruin your eyes. You better watch something that has a lot of violence in it. You know, it's just like a great scene. You know, and all those things are just it's it's not it's not accidental that it's in there. Yeah, I like her a lot in this too. The Joe Beth Williams, like especially the scene when like she finally realizes that oh, there's this force that's like sliding things across my kitchen floor, and I'll draw the circles and like where it's gonna come from and where it's got to go to. And Craig Nelson comes home, and she's like, wait, 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 watch this, and she like slides the chair across it, and she's like jumping up and down, super excited that this supernatural thing is happening in her house. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's totally wild. Like she comes running out of the house, like to get him, like she won the lottery, and she comes in and is like, let, let, let me let me show you this, because even still, like I, you know, it's funny because she had a, a, she kind of changes her um, like feeling on it because it, 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 one of one of those great scenes when you when you when she first encounters some sort of supernatural thing was when it's and it's one shot where they she walks from the kitchen table after pushing the chairs in because obviously the kids pulled all the chairs out. She walks over, the camera pans with her, and then within, I don't know, it's probably just a few seconds, she walks back. Yeah, all the so, chairs stacked up on the table. Yeah, which, I mean, and they did it in one Which take. is like, yeah, it's like, you know, super simple practical effect. You know, you have like 20 stage hands run in and like grab all the chairs and then put this, you know, screwed together <laughs> tower of chairs on top of the table in the same shot. But but really effective. Yeah, it's, it's pretty effective. Yeah, really, yeah. really striking. And then so she gets freaked out. And obviously, I just remember watching in the theater being totally freaked out by that because it's so unexpected. And then Craig T. Nielsen comes home and she's all excited and shows her little daughter. <laughs> Which is really funny because I think, and I think maybe oh. it must have been the time, but I, how many of us would just have left the house at that point? Right. Yeah. Today's horror movies is like, oh, anything tiny creeping going on? I'm out of here. No, it's like she wants to play with it. It's like, let's, you know, strap a, a football helmet on our little daughter and slide her across the floor, too. Right. Which is probably another Spielberg moment of that. It's like, okay, you know, it's okay that she is moving across the floor by ghosts, but we better put a helmet on her. Just in case, yeah. you know, because we don't just want to get be, hurt. Just yeah. to be safe. Right. But uh, talking about, you know, Heather O'Rourke uh, looking at the TV, the the whole film starts with the close up of, you know, this big CRT tube console TV uh, in the living room showing, you know, the closing closing of the day. They're going to shut down the TV station for the night. Just thinking back to that, it's like the station actually signing off for the night. How foreign is that concept now in, in like this world of 24 hour cable channels and, and everything? Yeah, it's, well, it's totally amazing. Yeah, it's like I completely forgot. It was such a nice thing to kind of see that again and uh, to be reminded of that. Because I guess back in the day, they just basically said, you know what? We're done. We got no more to show you. Right. And then and instead, like today, it's like, no, no, we better keep going. We, you know, we don't have anything to say. So maybe we'll either make something up or we'll just repeat something over and over again. Right. We'll make some reality TV. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, that was such a 
fun thing. And, and I guess probably too, it just seems like these days you, you wouldn't play, you wouldn't be able to play the national anthem at the end of a, your daily broadcast for a station. I don't know if that's true or not. Because the, the airwaves were supposed to be dedicated to the public use. Right. So obviously right. <laughs> they need to show the national anthem at right. the end of the day. Right. That was cool though. Cause I was just totally, do you, do you remember that? Just like it playing and then just uh-huh. the sign, then just that's it. No, nothing more. <laughs> just a static. Yeah. And then that's when the ghosts come. And that's what kicks the whole thing off. Right. See Carol Ann trying to talk to the cat on TV and then shouting at the TV, waking up the entire house. And Craig T. Nelson doesn't know what to do, but. <laughs> right. That's a great scene, though. Yeah. Um, the quip of uh, Joe Beth Williams. Uh, so you, do you know what happens when you overfeed goldfish? They grow up to be sharks. <laughs> It's like, is that a thing you should tell your kids? <laughs> right, right, right. There's like this kind of weird undercurrent in Spielberg movies that like just kind of cavalier towards what you tell your kids that seems really odd in today's society that you know, it doesn't seem like it should be that different 30 years later. But it's it's very, I don't know, I think more people are more cautious and more upset about telling kids things like that. Right. Yeah, you would never do that. I think it was it was actually really funny because it was that same thing with the daughter, the older daughter, like she's going to school and they're building the pool in the back. And I actually remember copying this when I was a kid. Everyone learned that when you put your hands out, you move your one hand over and then you lift your hand up and like bite your thumb. And she ends up, you know, giving the finger. That was something we all repeated. I remember when we were in uh, middle school. I, I know I, I know our, all our parents probably love that. But uh, right. but the workers in the back are like cat calling and and you know fox, fox totally. whistling at the daughter yeah. and joe beth williams is in the kitchen like going ha, that's so cute you know, that, that, <laughs> well i think she looks slightly concerned at first and yeah. then when her daughter flipped them off then it's like oh i'm proud of my daughter right right <laughs> and honestly they work it out in a way where the guys don't seem like totally sleazy i mean they're all kind of like ha ha ha, ha which you know <laughs> it is still kind of sleazy but um it was yeah. kind of funny you know i don't know it's uh it was definitely there's a good naturedness to uh the whole film i don't know if it was it just seemed uh kind of funny and and simple not simple because it's not simple at all but uh just good <laughs> i don't know good natured can you have a horror movie that's good natured yeah i mean i, I kind of get that vibe from it too where it's just like it's not out to like just like show you as much gore as possible right. and gross you out it's just like it's a family horror movie yeah exactly even to, <laughs> even like what we were talking about earlier when she comes flying out of the house being like hey you got to see my kid like being uh you know telekinesis just across the floor you got to see this honey and uh you know even some of the things that they you know kind of the way it's shot too it's very bright and uh it's cheery i actually you know i, I had to, i turned down the sound a couple times and what you see on the screen is i don't know is is bright and more good natured and cheery um it, it seems like a lot of the things that in it it's like good filmmaking is, is what it is like you know steven spielberg and toby hooper are going for the the thrills and and they they know it by by being craftsmen yeah it's kind of that indiana jones level of you know they like they want to scare you but it's not mean-spirited yeah exactly exactly and they know and because people want to be thrilled you know i mean there's uh-huh. just and, and you know we'll get to the other iconic moments in this movie but just like well just like the chair stacking which is like i remember just seeing that for the first time you're like whoa <laughs> and you just never know when these things are going to happen yeah of course they will all forever be scared of of a, of a clown just sitting in your bedroom <laughs> Which was uh, well, that was creepy. It was creepy. <laughs> it was creepy, and, you know, even before uh, what Stephen King's it, 
I don't know which came out first, but uh, clowns were already kind of freaky, and that that clown especially was just super duper freaky. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen it. I just I don't know. Don't like clowns. I mean, <laughs> it's not it's not like a fear of them. Just just don't like them. Right. <laughs> so um, the so after that we we get to that little set piece with like sliding things across the floor, like Joe Beth Williams being super excited. But pretty soon after that, like you said, there was there was the creepy clown. And the the kid is scared of the storm, right? And um, the storm as well. And right. Craig Nelson was like, "Oh, you can you can count, you know, the time between the flash and the thunder, and and you can see, oh, it's going away. It's getting longer between the flash and the thunder, so that means the sound is traveling further away, and, and it makes the kid feel better. Yeah, and then it comes back the next night, and it's like." No, no, it's getting closer and closer and closer. <laughs> right. <laughs> like great tension that comes from that. And and just the creepiest, I mean, just looking out the window, just having the, the creepiest tree you could possibly find. And then the cr- the tree crashes through the window. <laughs> Which is not normal for a tree. No, but uh, I use, it was Michael Woods. Uh, he was the mechanical effects supervisor and his crew were, were building the mechanical effects like the tree. And uh, it said in the CineFX article that, um, I, I should say, the CineFX article was written by Paul Mandel. Um, we're taking a lot of our, our source from that. Yes. They built cables into the limbs to make the fingers move, and the tree itself was steel covered with foam and latex, and some rigid parts were made out of fiberglass. And they had this whole you know cabling system and joystick set up so they could control four of the tree limbs and do this great tree graph they they couldn't do it all in one shot like they said they wanted to but they uh i think it turned out pretty effective oh my gosh it's just yeah it's incredible yeah i was i, I was reading about that too how he had i don't want to do it in the in just in one in one take or one one scene mm-hmm. but it totally works that how it how it uh how it happens and it's just so shocking when it comes flying through there and, and it said in there too in the article too i believe that it was actually they found a real tree it was. I think they had taken molds off it. Like right. They found a tree that they liked the look of, and then they kind of built one that looked very similar. But yeah, you know, the tree eating the little kid. And <laughs> I think I think they filmed that backwards, so it was like kind of you know worked him in there, and then slowly pulled him out, and they shot that backwards so that it looked like the tree was eating him. And they pumped some things through there to write some. Uh, what is it? They said honey and flour. That uh, yeah. So, that, so there was some goo that was coming out of it. Like it was sap or something, but yeah. it, was, it was it was really hard to read that on the screen with all the wind and the rain and stuff going on at the same time. <laughs> right, right. It's a pretty intense scene. But they, uh, the mechanical effects group, also built this enormous gimbal rig that rotated the bedroom sets around. Like you know, like you've seen uh, Royal Wedding with Fred Astaire, right, dancing on the ceiling. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's seen that. Right, right. Of course, <laughs> or at least that shot. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I I practice it quite often. So they built this, you know, enormous set that they could actually rotate 360 degrees around. And, you know, they've got the camera guy strapped in there with the camera <laughs> bolted to the floor so that the camera doesn't move. And it looks like things are actually, you know, angled one way or another. And they, they use that for both the, the very next sequence where the kids are getting sucked into the closet. And they're actually like hanging above this closet for uh, some of the shots yeah it's incredible like it, it's such, it's so it's such a creative solution you know how like how do you have you know the kids like hanging on and like falling 
Well, you you use gravity, so you know, they tilted it and it had. And but then then the thing was, I mean, this is you know they don't stop there with just turning and having everything like you know fall down the drain. They attach wires to all the different things so they can go in sequence. So oh, the beds all go the last. Toys on the floor and, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And the toys go at different times. It's just really amazing. And I think there was a an interview with Heather O'Rourke. Yes, like a little bit later where she said the like the only time she was really scared during the production was that time where they they had her like hanging onto the bedpost and hanging above the closet in this giant tilted set. And they had her on in a harness so she wasn't going to fall, but she just kind of had to hang there by herself in the room for a while. Yeah, it would seem like it would be pretty frightening to be tilted like that because the whole thing would be uh, some sort of like funhouse weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're sitting there and and the the whole the whole room is is tilting. And I don't know. Did it say in the, in the article? I didn't see it. How many different bedrooms they they made? Because I'm sure they didn't film all the bedroom scenes in in a room in a gimbal or on a gimbal. It didn't. It didn't say in the article, and I'm I'm not sure. I know they did. You know those shots of you know that, and then again later the kids. You know, kind of getting sucked into the the closet again. You know, when the parents saved them the second time. Right, <laughs> but. Uh, they also did the bedroom scene uh, with Jo Beth Williams when like she thinks much later in the movie when she thinks everything is fine and she's like going to go to bed. And then it like there was there was apparently going to be some sort of kind of rapey scene going on there and they toned it down a little bit to keep their PG rating. But then it like drags her up the wall and across the ceiling and, and that's all you know done with that same thing where they rotated the room. So she's actually, you know, at the bottom of the room the entire time. So I don't know if the, if it was if they actually built two separate sets or it was like the same set redressed for the other one or I would assume it's two different ones because the I think the configuration with the closet is different enough that it would be hard to just redress to hide that. They also did the uh, that in miniature to the the bedroom uh, the uh, kids bedroom in miniature for 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 the the later scenes with with the esophagus coming out you know much much later in the movie. So, which I'm sure we'll get, we'll to. get to that in a little right, bit. I want to jump the gun, but, could, but I just remember though because no, they no. did have the different, the different, um, the different door sizes and things like that. So you know they they were they oh, were yeah, repeating they did some really cool force perspective exactly. Stuff, but yeah, we'll we'll see that in a bit. I thought I thought it was interesting too. Speaking of the little girl hanging from wires, that they had. Uh, one of the quotes they had from Spielberg in the article was like, oh, well, those wires are pretty thick, but we'll find some way later on to get rid of them. So it seems like, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the first uh, big uh, things that I've seen in print about like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll just, just fix it in post. post. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at the time there wasn't computer compositing or, you know, just like painting out wires with the computer or anything. So it's, you know. They had to do like little tricks with Vaseline in the in the compositing system to kind of smudge the area around the wires. Right, or take like take a, like a clean plate, right? Like uh, shoot the scene twice with a clean plate and then kind of kind of match them up. I didn't see anything about that in the article. I'm kind of assuming that might have been tough in that scene since things were moving around so wildly. Right, right. And, and the lighting too. I, I think you know every time every scene has all these this crazy lighting in it, so it's really hard to match that up. Yeah, this amazing blast of light coming out of the closet. <laughs> They're running it through 
like a couple of uh, filters and reflectors and running it through a fish tank (laughs) to get all of these like different kind of like swimmy looks to the light that's coming out of there. Yeah, I don't think you could replicate that. Right, right. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, twice, the next over time. a couple, over a couple different scenes. Yeah, it's just, the, the layers involved is just it's just it's just mind mind boggling. Yeah, there was also a bit in the article about uh, Spielberg was really a fan of Alien, right? And the kind of really organic look of the creatures in that film, and uh, I think that really comes across here too, especially like you know later on when we get to like the big. You know, the esophagus and the skeletons that are in the swimming pool and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, he definitely, it seems like he mentioned that a couple of times, like that when and, and they mentioned the article, just how many times the uh, Spielberg mentioned, alluded to Alien, and that they, he really thought that what they did was really effective. And that's that's how he wanted to look. Because even well, like the alien ship itself was, you know, there was like something you'd never seen before that actually looked like some sort of, I don't know, a body part. Somehow, like mm-hmm. I, um, like a pancreas or something. I, I, don't, I don't know what that looks like. I, but yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, but it was definitely very, very, very organic. Yeah. And uh, they definitely captured. Well, the, that. there there were actually speaking of organic, we could skip down the uh, you know in the in the big calamity. There is a scene where uh, Joe Beth Williams goes out and like falls into the the pit they've dug for the pool. And there's no concrete or anything in there. It's just like dirt at this point, but it's raining and there's a tornado uh, and she gets in there and there's skeletons in the pool, um, which we find out later is because obviously they built it on some graveyard. Right, right. <laughs> because you moved the headstones and you didn't move the bodies. Right. But the apparently the skeletons that were in there were real skeletons. Right. I think that's one of the most in, that's one of the most interesting parts of well in, in of the article is talking about with, with is it is Reardon right is it Craig Reardon? Yeah, Craig Reardon who did the special effects makeup and he like built the big head and and the pool corpses. Right. Um, and, and, and they got it. There was only one country that would allow uh, to sell real skeletons, and that was that was India, and and you could get a plastic skeleton from them. But there was a mold from the same skeleton, so all your skeletons would look the same. And the plastic skeleton cost more than the real skeleton. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is just crazy. Yeah, it's just nuts. Yeah, and so, yeah, so yeah, they end up getting all the different real skeletons brought over. And I guess, I, I, I think that probably helped with time, right? So they were able to do it quicker. Oh, yeah, because I think that was one of the, the first things they they wanted to have ready was the, the all the skeleton stuff. And there was like we need you to rig these up. And he's like, Oh yeah, I can, I can totally rig those up. And he'd never rigged anything for like, you know, motion before. Right. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I'll totally figure out how to do this in the next three weeks. No, no problem. And then he rigged them up <laughs> so they could do anything. I think, you know, they could move their, you know, their arms and I think some, maybe some eyes and things and they ended up not ended up using it. Yeah. I think. It said they, they didn't really get to show it off. Cause there was like, there was no uh, access for getting to the, the rigging when they were doing the Right, scenes right. And stuff. Which is one of which the, is a real shame. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's I mean, it's it's crazy when you think about it because like they have that great picture in the article of Joe Beth Williams in the middle screaming, and there's like these two guys yeah. too. Yeah, I think one is Craig <laughs> Reardon manipulating the skeletons while they're all in this big pit of water with all these things happening. And, and I actually read too in another place that when Joe Beth Williams was in that pool, she was really afraid of all the wires that were in there. She was she was okay with the skeletons. You know, but uh, she there was she was really worried about all the wires that were in the water, which you could understand with all the electricity. Yeah. And so Steven Spielberg actually was like, OK, 
well, if something's going to happen to you, it's going to happen to me too. And he entered the water as well. So he was in, in that scene. So, Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, the, all those, the, however many skeletons, I forget how many skeletons they said that they had. I think they built like a dozen of them and, and they had rigged at least seven of them for promotion. Right. And they just kept adding yeah. all the, the, the foam and the epoxy onto the outside of them. So it looked like yeah, all, the rotting cool fresh, all the rotting flesh. Yeah, they were talking about uh, Mike McCracken, who was also on the the SFX makeup crew, had like kind of built flesh onto the skeletons by like you know taking a torn and ragged T shirt and draping it over the skeleton and then smearing foam rubber on uh-huh. top of that, so it kind of create this weird lumpy texture and <laughs> like a you know desiccated whatever. Yeah, and, and, they, and they had like uh, <laughs> and they had uh, it, it was and it was only the two of them that built all those that built all the the skeleton it was just him and um craig reardon and michael mccracken i think just the two guys yeah because it, it was one of reardon's uh first like major feature films i think and he like really wanted to impress like well you know like one way i can do that is keep way under budget and right. keep my crew really small right <laughs> it was just, the, just two the two guys. guys which is amazing how because when you think of how many skeletons are actually in there and all the well the coffins that they used and um yeah that that final final scene was uh yeah which I guess anyway, actually was not shot in in the order. It was not shot in the at the end. But they, there was a bunch of um, like near the end there are, there are a bunch of uh, caskets and skeletons that come exploding out of the ground, and that was you know some of their skeletons as well. And it was a, it was a real shame. They had a good picture in the article. You didn't really get to see it in the film, but there was like one one of the caskets had like this lady who was buried with her cat. And there was a little cat skeleton next to right, her. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a great picture. And it was funny too. Cause they mentioned in it too, you know, talking about directing Toby Hooper was the one who was like, Oh, you know, I want this old lady and I want her to hold a, a really old cat. like a, a cat skeleton. So that was his suggestion, which is one of those really nice uh, <laughs> touches. Um, but it, it, you know, in the scheme of things, when you have, you know, storms going lights, dust, rotted corpses, you, you, you don't see it in there. Yeah. Anyway, so the, the first time Carol Ann disappears, she's somewhere in the house. They can still hear her calling out sometimes, but she's she's gone into another dimension or something, which is, which is also an interesting thing that the Sunfix article brought up that it was like, yeah, maybe this was influenced by the Twilight Zone episode Little Girl Lost. Uh-huh. And I, I actually dug that up and it's it is very similar in some areas where it's just like, Kind of, I mean, it's not like all the, you know, horror hocus pocus going on around it, but uh, there's like a little girl who like falls into another dimension and they, and the, the, like the father brings over his physicist friend who might know something about this. Right. Right. <laughs> they like try and figure out how to get to her. And, and, um, you know, eventually there, you know, there's discussion about, well, these beings must live in a fourth dimension. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Although. <laughs> time i don't know <laughs> right right yeah it's all conjecture yeah i get it, it i love that they had the um craig t nielsen d- decides to go like rather than to the police he goes to the department of popular belief superstitions and parapsychology which right which i don't know how many universities offer that but uh <laughs> it sounds really cool and uh yeah i find that fascinating that that was his first instinct <laughs> right right, like, right let's go to the local college and see what they can take uh, you know my daughter's missing and i think she's in a tv but then again, you know, th- not many people are going to believe that your daughter went into a TV. So, well, you, you, I guess you got to kind of like it's you got to kind of play that. You got to see how that goes. 
You know? Yeah, I guess the cops probably would say, yeah, sure, mister. <laughs> right. Do you want to go to the police department or do you want to go to the Department of Popular Beliefs, Superstitions, and Parapsychology? One of those one of those two places are going to believe that your kid's in the TV. And I don't think it's, I don't know if it's the guys in blue. But I, when they, when they uh, introduce the three um, parapsychologists, and it's cool because they bring them to the house and they're totally freaked out by what they see. Like, I think one said... Yeah, I saw a can or, or, or I saw something move across a floor. Oh, it was a little toy truck. A little toy like, truck. I recorded it and it rolled across the floor over the course of seven hours. <laughs> right, right. And that was and a big Craig Nelson's just looking at him like, right. uh huh, okay. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> here's this, this thing. Yeah, you, you, this, this, this might be a little bit stronger parapsychod, para, paranormal activity than, than a seven hour moving truck. And then right. things really start to happen after they, they get in there. And, and it's cool because they start, you know, they set up all the, the cameras and the, the recording equipment. Well, then, the, the first thing he shows him is the, the, the shot of all this stuff floating around in the room. Right. Which is apparently this, like, enormous, the most complicated blue screenshot that ILM has ever worked on right. to this point. Right. And, uh, like, all of these different elements. Um, and they had to do like motion control with like, you know, little rods, little blue rods holding up the stuff as they moved it around so that they could mat that out. And, uh, you know, they had like all these different toys floating around. They had a record player and a compass and the compass needle comes down on the record and starts playing it. Right, right. And, and, it, and it threatens the, the, the paranormal psychologists. And and they had to shoot each one of those things individually, I believe. And then and then had to make sure that they were going in the right direction. And, and in the right distance within the room so that they didn't crash into each other or, you know, break frame with each other. Yeah. And they said that, like, it went, they, oh, they also brought in Ken Ralston. He was, uh, oh, he had worked right. on Star Wars and stuff before, but he took a break from being uh, the VFX supervisor in Star Trek 2 and came in and did the, uh, like, stop frame animation on the Incredible Hulk doll riding a little galloping horse. Right. It's just <laughs> it's awesome. Just, it's just delightful. Oh, they and they had like a special puppeting rigs for the books, so they could like kind of flap them open and closed as they're flying around. And and I think it was a uh, Rick Rick Victor and Bill Neal did all of the camera work on that. All of this like these little blue screen things. Um, but the the amazing thing was like it took ten weeks to film all the blue screen elements. Some of the shots had more than 20 elements in them to, to finally composite. And uh, Bruce, Bruce Nicholson, who's in the optical department and his crew, uh-huh. it says they massaged the sequence optically for a record-breaking eight months right, right. for that one sequence. Right, right. It's like constantly, I'm constantly surprised, like looking back at these old sin effects is like, holy crap. You know, the stuff we would do in like, you know, two or three weeks now is like, eight months <laughs> right right yeah and they just keep massaging them and, they, and they never make it easy on themselves easy either you know with the things like if you just had the book flying around that would be probably be pretty cool but they're like yeah. no 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 we're going to open it and have it flap you know we're going to have the the compass like what you said you know come and play the the the, the record we're going to have you know the, mm-hmm. the hulk ride a horse i mean all these things are just <laughs> really awesome touches that they don't really need to do but they just add all those all those different elements together. It's it's just super effective. And it, didn't they also make a, a thing too? Because they had was 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 this the scene with uh, the, the the lady with the red hair? And they said that they knew every strand of her red hair because I yeah. think when they were, were were looking into the room, I don't know if the room had a blue screen on the back of it, but they you know I think they showed a couple times from the back of all the parapsychologists looking in horror at the 
at all all the the elements flying around in the room. Right. And, so it ended uh, up being a big sandwich with like the plate of the room, and then all the stuff flying around, and then all the the parapsychologists right on top of everything, looking and, in like, there. Her, her thin curly hair on top of everything. Right. Which must have been a nightmare to try and comp with just optical based blue screen. Yeah. You just think you, you, you know, you would think that you, maybe you'd want to even just like, uh, you know, get your parapsychologist who had her hair like tied back in a, a tight bun or something, <laughs> or, or just use a bunch of bald guys, you know, <laughs> they would make for a lot of easier green screen or blue screens, so, but they didn't do that. No, no. Although I, I think they didn't mention as much of it in this article, uh, but ILM has this thing where their blue screens were all backlit. Uh-huh. Um, it was like they had like, you know, the blue sheet and it's fluorescent lights behind the sheet. So it kind of the blue kind of glows on its own. And they don't have to light it from the front. OK, which is cool to begin with. But then they have like all the little rods uh, puppeteering the floating stuff has that same kind of neon blue color on the rod so it's a lit rod it's not just painted i i find that fascinating that they're that they get better results from that technique than from you know just at like front lighting stuff and that everybody's gone to front lighting stuff now and I, I kind of wonder now what ilm's techniques are if they've gone toward that as well or if it's they still like to backlight their uh, blue screens yeah maybe it was just like a well some sort of luminance level or something that they were getting that made it easier to do or I mean, even just within within you know the however many years it's, it, it it is maybe the um the, it's the technology um, of the, you know even like the color the the, the particular color has changed um, mm-hmm. because it, too you know they, and they made this I think it was interesting because with a lot of the blue screens that they did for things like in, in like Star Wars they, they could do it a lot differently because it was they were dealing with space and black and stars so they didn't have like, a lot of the same problems that they would I mean this was a room. And any of these blue things, the the blue would, uh, you know, obviously create the casts on some of these on these elements. Mm. So they had to be really, really careful with with lighting it so they didn't get their reflection. So maybe that had something to do with it. Why they did a backlight instead of. Yeah. Yeah. And they said it, it was it gave them a more even color as well than, you know, trying to front light it and, you know, getting all of the lights pointed in the exact right direction, the exact right <laughs> length away so that they. You know, you don't get hot spots on the blue screen and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which I know is a royal pain in the ass having tried to do it myself <laughs> several times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is it's terrible when that, when the, when that blue kind of creeps over into, into the, into the elements. Oh yeah. Uh, That's the worst. And then you have to go and roto everything anyway. And <laughs> right. Right. Which, I mean, which they couldn't really have done really. I mean, you know, the roto wasn't, you know, as easy. I mean, it's, it's a pain yeah. for us and it was still. You know, well, it's yeah, I mean, but for them, then it was like, you know, actually painting on a physical right. cell, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's incredible. The, the talent that they have. We'll be back in a moment with more of our Poltergeist chat. But right now it's time for the optical trivia contest brought to you by Cinefix. 2015 is just getting started, but Cinefix 140 is already here covering Interstellar, the Christopher Nolan film realized in part by stunning visual effects images created by Double Negative. As he had done with the Dark Knight trilogy and other films, however, Nolan sought to capture as much as possible in camera. With on-set special effects orchestrated by Scott Fisher and other practical effects by New Deal Studios. Cinefx 140 also covers The Zero Theorem, the latest nightmarish technological world with visual flair from Terry Gilliam. 
and Exodus, Gods and Kings, Ridley Scott's retelling of the biblical account of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And something I excitedly devoured, an in-depth Q&A with special makeup effects designers and creature creators Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis, co-founders of Amalgamated Dynamics, Inc. Woodruff and Gillis discuss their backgrounds in the 80s creature effects industry, early assignments at Stan Winston Studios, and their creative partnership that has spanned 25 years. All in Cinefix 140 on newsstands now, or order your copy today from Cinefix.com. And while you're at it, pick up the iPad edition, which has extra photos and VFX breakdown videos. The Cinefix iPad app is available on the App Store, and you can get to it easily from the link in our show notes. If you'd like to win your own one-year print subscription to Cinefix Magazine, all you have to do is answer this trivia question. Name one film that Steven Spielberg produced but didn't direct. There's more than one right answer. Send your answer to feedback at opticalpodcast.com or use the feedback form on our website by midnight Pacific time, February 28th, 2015 for your chance to win. One winner will be randomly chosen from the correct entries. Now let's rejoin our poltergeist chat with Mike Gower. Maybe because we haven't even got to is it is it is it uh, P- Panagrio, P- the, uh, the the matte painter? Yeah, who who, who basically uh, there's that that scene of the uh, the cemetery, and it doesn't exist, and he painted this entire cemetery. So when Craig T. Nielsen and his uh, his evil boss get together they uh they, they can see the they can see the cemetery and it's just uh put in mm-hmm. front of the scene oh, oh that's mike uh pangrazio yes i'm sorry pangrazio yes so i mean yeah i, I, can, I can't imagine this guy's talent how he can just yo you need that sure I'll, yeah, i can draw i can just paint a <laughs> cemetery for you and, th- and there's an amazing shot on another matte shot with that had uh also gary gary playtech uh shot like a few new cloud tank shots. They mm-hmm. actually reused some cloud tank shots from Rage of the Lost Ark, right? But they they shot some new ones. So there's like the shot of the like this giant cloud coming in over the neighborhood, and so the it's a cloud tank shot. There's Mike Pangrazio's matte painting of the neighborhood itself, um, and then Pangrazio sculpted a little hillside so that they could then add a, a bit where like the cloud shadow comes in over the hillside. Right. And they, so they're compositing that in as well. And then another um, Mike Pangrazio added another matte painting that is <laughs> just to, like correct the kind of the bottom and the far reaches of the clouds. So that, uh-huh. like the stuff in the far distance. And uh, then uh, matte photographer Neil Krepla composited the whole shot Um uh, I'm sorry. Before, uh, damn it! Let me back up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It so, is, there's a lot uh, going on in that shot, so that makes yeah. sense. I mean, there's there's you know five different people doing it. There's scenes from different movies, and they're all coming together for this out of this world scene. So it's it's Gary Playtex Cloud. It's Mike Pangrazio's uh, matte painting of the neighborhood itself, plus a correctional matte painting for the cloud, like the far reaches of the cloud. And then uh, 
mad photographer Neil Krepla composited the shot, and then they decided they wanted to have that cloud come in over the hillside. So Mike Pangrazio sculpted a little hillside, and they shot that to add like the little shadow coming in over the hill. And then uh, Dave Barry, uh, another uh, guy uh, on the, let's see, Richard Edlin calls him ILM's resident optical printer artiste. Yes. And he honed the final composite with everything in it. It's just like, I, I love having like all these various pieces from, uh, you know, different techniques and, and different, different artists uh, and different people. Yeah. All coming together. And I think even he even mentions in there that they weren't sure that it was so subtle with like the cloud shadow. Um, like, was it worth it? And I think they felt that it was because it just helped with the entire scene, even though you probably don't really see it with everything that's going on. I mean, these, these scenes are so elaborate and complex, but it just helps to, for the overall thing. And it, it's probably one of those things we just don't notice. Um, it was, well, you know, as, as the audience member, I mean, you do notice it, but you notice it on the whole, like just how it's, amazing it is. But these guys, yeah, it's are more just, like you would, you would notice the shadow if it wasn't there. Exactly. But if it's there, it just kind of helps sell the realism of the shot and you don't think about it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's just <laughs> so many like little 10 second shots in this thing that took so much work. Mm-hmm. And that was another one of those. That was just a, a small section, but it was just uh, very, very involved. To say the least. Yeah, and there's 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 one. Well, we'll we'll get to that at the very end. But there's one that's that was a big, big, big. So the the, the paranormal investigators come into their house, right? Right. Um, and there was something they they said that I thought seemed backwards to me. They said that like poltergeists were tied to a place, whereas hauntings were tied to a person. Uh huh. Which seemed weird to me. I thought hauntings were tied to a house or something you know like a place and then poltergeists were just i don't even know i guess it's all made up anyway so who <laughs> right <laughs> who cares but right <laughs> i'm just like thinking of other ghost yeah, stories the, that um, seen, i know? thought the same thing when they when they said that because because it, it did seem like a haunting of a house too um mm-hmm. I, but i guess we find out later maybe what you know what 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 it was but i don't know even know i mean this is as a kind of a, like a little bit of an aside i, I don't know if it actually starts when they they break ground on the swimming pool. Is that actually when the them digging into it? Is that like that really upsets these uh, these ghosts or not? Oh uh, well, yeah, maybe that was because that's like when we see the that's when we see the first stuff is shortly after that, and then digging into the swimming pool, I guess, would indicate that they're disturbing graves at that right, point. Right, right, and I think that I think it is after that that when the uh, when that when that that cool cell animated hand comes out of the television. And then sooner or later, they they all the all the the ghosts come out of the television and go into the wall. Where only the only the dog seems to 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 realize what happened. There was um there was an interesting story about that too, where they had actually they 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 were thinking they were going to do that hand with animation at first, and then they uh, were thinking about well let's you know we we can like take a cast of somebody's hand and cast it in clear silicone. So it's like this weird stretching, you know, like maybe it's it could become part of the TV screen is like stretching out and becoming a hand. Right. And they actually did that. Like they did two casts of one of the ladies who was working on the production, like her hand kind of starting and then all the way reaching out. And then they they made some intermediate versions of that in between. So it's kind of like if you listen to our episode uh, where we talked about the state of 3D and and some stop motion animation of the Ray Harry has an episode um, talked about the Pillsbury Doughboy ads 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they use this replacement animation technique where it's actually like, there's no, it's not a, a model with an armature that you can kind of move around. It's actually a completely separate model for each frame of the animation. Mm-hmm. So when the finger comes in to depress the little Pillsbury Doughboy's belly, <laughs> there's actually like a separate model of the Pillsbury Doughboy that they swap out for every frame of the animation. And so they were going to do that here. It was like one a different pe- a different version of the arm would be swapped out for every frame. So it looked like this glass hand was growing out of the TV screen. And it sounded really, really cool. And they like got through all of this and spent tons of money on it. And then Spielberg was like, eh. I like the animation better. Right, right. <laughs> so they went back to that. But it's, I would love to see those. There wasn't, they had some shots of some of the stuff that didn't make it into the film in, in the sound effects article, but they didn't seem to have that. I would love to see those like kind of glass looking hands. Yeah, because they would, yeah, because they, they created what I was seeing. It's the Renee Holt was the, the hands and they made a uh, cast of it and then they, they made it with silicone the egg. And I guess they gave, gave her like four knuckles. It was so they were a little bit longer. And uh, oh, really? I yeah. missed that. Okay. Yeah, that so they were cool. like creepier hands, and then they then they <laughs> then they made these glass silicone hands, and then uh, yeah, then they didn't end up. Steven Spielberg didn't end up liking how they looked, so they went back with the uh, with the animation. Right. Um, and I think too, it seemed like Richard Edlund seemed more. I could be totally wrong with this, but he seemed like he he didn't trust the animation as much, um, and liked mm. to do more of sometimes the practical effects. Yeah, because I think from his experience on Raiders, where it's like kind of the the ghosts that they had done in the water tank, where it was like kind of the swirling fabric in the water, he thought those looked much better than the ones that had been animated. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't think the animation felt like it meshed as well with the rest of the live action footage. Right, right, and so yeah, and so I think he, you know he did he so he didn't want to rely on the animation as much too, and did, and and wanted to do this this glass hand coming out. But but it seems like it would that would have been a pretty a pretty neat scene. I agree to uh, have those hands come out. But then but then it flips in and it gets into that you know the 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 ghostly hand that kind of goes all the way around through the room, which is mm-hmm. really really a, a nice a nice effect. And slithering around. Yeah. So then once the paranormal investigators are in there, there's a scene where there's this kind of apparition that comes down the stairs. It was interesting in the article that there's it said they had a few other ideas at first, like they weren't sure exactly what they wanted to do with that scene. And Spielberg was thinking what, like a ball of light with tentacles, you know, not kind of more of an amorphous thing. Uh, Richard Edlund had this idea of like he had seen this photograph of a, like an atomic bomb going off just a few milliseconds after the, the bomb had gone off uh-huh. the shape of the cloud. He thought it was like this, the most monstrous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he he wanted to base it on that, which sounds really cool. Well, this is where they ended up using the the lady, right, in the harness. Yes. Um, yeah. Coming down the stairs, which kind of reminded me because it seemed like that that um, the, the scene at the end of Raiders where they have the, like the beautiful ghosts going yeah. around and they turn horrific. But it's yeah, very be- much so. But they have her in the in the harness coming down this you know, beautiful spirit coming down the the steps. Right. Uh, or floating. And they shot it at 16 millimeter with the camera running at like 360 frames per second, something like that. Uh, something crazy. They, somebody says 16 times normal speed, but in, you know, and actually, again, shot her in reverse to kind of give it that slightly weird motion that looks a little unsettling. Right. Um, but then they, then they eventually augmented that with animation as well, because 
they well they were at the speed they were shooting the film like and they had to do the the motion fast but then they slow it back down so that you know it kind of gives this swirly ethereal look to all the little strands of fabric around her and at the speed they wanted to do that they wanted to have like her rotate around spin and and go up into the ceiling and since the camera's shooting at 360 frames per second they would have had to spin the actress at like a thousand rpms (laughs) to get the right look so i was like well maybe we'll do this with animation and not kill our actress (laughs) right right so john bruno uh worked on that animation and the in the same shot they like they cut to a shot of the static on the TV and you can see in the background, the reflection of, of her coming down the stairs, but also all these other little lights, which apparently they shot live action just as a reflection on the TV mm-hmm. and had uh, lights in the, on the chest of the actors. So there's kind of that glowing spot, mm-hmm. but you can see it, you know, it falls off and in the reflection, you can see a little bit of the actors around them. It actually took me two views to, to notice that it was like, Oh, you can actually see like a ghostly person around this ball of light. And it's not just <laughs> the ball of light. Right. Right. So that was a kind of a cool effect to kind of just shoot that live, but only in the reflection in the TV. Yeah. Very, very cool. The, um, there's a, uh, with those parapsychologists too, there was that scene too with the um, the, the poor guy. You know, the, the young guy with the with the longer hair goes to the kitchen to go get a some food, mm-hmm. and uh, he's very surprised at what he finds there with the steak coming across. With which <laughs> was that? Is that a, that was a Craig? Was that was a Craig Reardon uh, model too? I yeah, I believe so. They kind of they they just like put it on a string to kind of slide it across the counter, you know, making it look like a an inchworm kind of a thing right like it was inching across there (laughs) right but then there's this stuff that spews out of the stake like it's turning into yeah i guess you know spielberg liked alien it seemed like you know it was the guy was coming out of the chest you know all the Mm -hmm. stuff popping out of the out of the stake and then turning into maggots Oh, right. The, the chicken leg that he had been eating, he drops it on the floor and then suddenly maggots, <laughs> right. which is just a cut. But the um, the the steak on the counter actually had like bits of, I don't know, gelatinous stuff popping out of it. And it was he said it was like made of vinyl mostly and uh-huh. like, you know, some methicel goo and, and stuff like that. But the the way the vinyl was, it was like really compressed and they kind of like shoved it up there with like you know, like a caulk gun uh-huh. kind of a thing. <laughs> kind of there's a plunger that pushes everything out. And he said as it as it came out, since it was made of this kind of vinyl material, it kind of sprang apart and kind of kept spreading <laughs> even after it had been pushed out. It uh-huh. like had a life of its own. That right. Was, Which would totally help sell the effect. And then the guy goes to the mirror and it's like Which oh, is one of the best scenes ever. That is I'm going to tear my face apart. Oh my gosh! It just and there's so much cool part about it. so much cool backstory on that too. That, that it was actually uh, Spielberg who was uh, whose hands were below the uh, the modeled face. So Craig Reardon again takes a skull, puts all the different layers of of epoxy or foam on it for the different the different levels of, of skin, and and muscle, and gelatin. Yeah, and yeah. It, uh, seems, it sounds a little bit like some of the stuff they they did for the. The melting heads and in Raiders, in Raiders, like yeah, kind of building it up in layers, and then the gelatin was under the hot lights was soft enough that you could just kind of like start peeling it apart, and he was like digging at his chin and dropping bits of it into the sink, and and that was uh, yeah, such oh, a great oh, scene. There was such a great story about that in the article with uh, Craig Reardon. 
No, it was Toby Hooper who was dropping the bits into the sink and he just thought nothing of it while he was shooting it. And then the next day, like Toby Hooper had come back from a big lunch and they sat down to watch dailies and that shot came up and Toby Hooper threw up. Right. <laughs> Cause it was, yeah, it was so gross. Reardon, it was like, I, I'm, I'm so proud of making Mr. Chainsaw Massacre vomit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so they have this whole thing with the, the bilocation thing where it's like if they go into the closet then they come out through the ceiling and you know they they play around with oh i guess it's when when the lady ghost goes up through it her jewelry falls out of the hole in the first place right and then they like experiment with some tennis balls which come out covered in goo right (laughs) it's just really cool how they did that the concept is this really neat. A good, it's a good plot, a, a good plot theme to uh, have that, to have it just to kind of turn, come through the closet and then out through the, the ceiling, and then so that they were able to figure out, you know, where where um, where their daughter is. Right, and we'll we'll throw a rope in there. And right, then the rope will come out of the ceiling in the living room, <laughs> and then and then the mother goes in there to finally get her daughter out, and they fall out from the ceiling in the living room, covered in goo. Which is the grossest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, the ectoplasmic goo. Cause yeah, you have to go through that if you're um, if you're going through some sort of ghostly thing. Ghosts yeah. are, have all that. There's that. There's that physical thing, which they like kind of they did with Ghostbusters. You know, Ghostbusters had tons of the goo. So oh, I guess yeah, you can't say ghosts and you can't separate ghosts and goo. No, we'll get and we'll get to Ghostbusters later this year too. Which which is there's some good stories about that. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say just with the they have that that interesting story about because it was very important they wanted actually in the article it mentions that they wanted joe beth williams and um carol o'rourke to kind of be in like kind of like a like kind of like a placenta bag it seemed like and that they they kind of come through the ceiling and that they kind of burst open and and how they had to look for something that worked um for that and uh they they went to a surgical place to get some tubing to to put this goo in and evidently um the surgical company that the owner said that they didn't have any of this stuff at the, at the moment because mm-hmm. kids were taking these plastic sausages and putting, putting them around their whole bodies and filling it with water. So they'd have a, a, a squirt gun that never ran out of water. And this was the thing they ended up using this, uh, this plastic yeah. sausaging to put the goo in. So when they came through and I guess, and, and it worked out well in their favor because when they kind of came through, they had, they, I think they had, um, used razor blades to to like basically cut this 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 uh this plastic sausage with the goo in it so it was basically ready to burst when they came through and so when they did come through and fall they it burst and had all this ectoplasmic goo everywhere oh there was yeah they had um they had little solenoids with with razor blades yes ready so it was like timed with when they fell through the razor blade would puncture the thing and it's just like uh, I don't know if you've seen like super slow motion footage of a balloon popping. Uh-huh. It's like from that point and then the balloon just rips in half and you know, the water balloon just, it spills out. So it was, it kind of, act, the rubber tubing acted like that. So once they punctured it in a few places, it just ripped open and all this methicellulose goo fell out, <laughs> exploded out. Right. It's, um, and, and like the, so like methicellulose, uh, is used as a thickener in foods. Mm-hmm. It was like food grade stuff. You can eat it. It doesn't taste like anything really. It's just thick goo. That's kind of gross but, right and it's not dangerous or toxic so you can cover their your actors with right it, I guess. but it's like yeah like you say it's like used in every 
every supernatural film, it's like, this is ectoplasm that the ghosts leave behind when they run through you or something. And uh, uh, I've always wanted to play with it. I'll have to maybe like get some by the time we do the Ghostbusters show and <laughs> to actually see how it works. I can send some to some lucky listener. Yes. Get your free quart of, of goo. ectoplasmic goo. Huh. <laughs> Um, and th- and they had, uh, I think they didn't actually drop uh, live people through that when they did it. They did mannequins on that, but it, but they had the mannequins on this like running on a wire, and then they had trip wires running along that, so it would set off uh, the lights, flashing strobe lights, and and uh, there was this like whole laser projection thing that they were playing with at that time too, to, like to kind of add this weird dimensional smoke shockwave aspect to it right for coming Um, out of the ceiling they didn't go into too much detail it seemed like they were like shining they're using a mirror to like create a kind of cone or cylinder of the laser and then running either liquid nitrogen smoke or uh, fire extinguisher kind of stuff through it to like uh, you know show you where the laser was and then using that to kind of build these concussion waves out of it right with the with they use the mannequins because I guess they were they were going to use a stunt person in there and mm-hmm. uh but they, they were coming out of the ceiling way too fast so they're actually worried for their for their safety so that's when they end up using the mannequins for that so, uh but it probably i mean it works really well because they, they're coming out of the, the ceiling like a you know a, a big sack of potatoes so they're just falling like dead weight onto the floor because of course you know when they fall they're they're still unconscious and, and not breathing right so it worked that worked really well and didn't they do too that with that they they, they were going to shoot a blue screen on that too because oh, they yeah they were like trying to figure out how to make it look like the ceiling was whole in that area right. until they actually crashed through right <laughs> and i think they ended up just actually just kind of compositing a, a little gradient over that area instead of doing blue screen because it never quite looked right right and then they did um it would use the vaseline to cover up any edges of the mat around the around the hole so it wasn't so it didn't look like an actual hole that's it that's another thing that's like something that we take for granted now with like computer compositing where it's just like, Oh yeah, we'll just, you know, blur the edges of the mat a little bit. And there it's like, no, we actually have to like smear Vaseline in the optical printer. (laughs) Right. Just to cover it up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So many good techniques. Yeah. And, and so much strawberry jelly. (laughs) Right. Which is another thing. If you are the 10th person to ride in, you not only get strawberry jelly, but you get ectoplasm. (laughs) Kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design and business, as well as software training. They even have courses on visual effects techniques and 3D modeling and animation. All of their courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash optical. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash optical. I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. Just before uh, they drop into the living room, uh, Craig T. Nelson is upstairs. He's got the rope. He's holding on to the other end of it. And there's this giant skull that suddenly pops out of the, the bedroom door, like smashes through the bedroom door. And um, they, that was another thing they'd like done a couple of revisions on. They uh, Craig Brillerton had uh, uh, sculpted one version of it 
they they did this whole shot where it was uh, like 45 degree beam splitter between the real doorway and over on you know 90 degrees to one side there's the little model of the the face bursting out of of the little miniature door and and you know trying to do the in-camera composite with it and they and spielberg said well it looks too much like a human face yeah the face was yeah he didn't he didn't had seen the face yet so he he wanted it to look more uh more more macabre laughing skull rather than i think the the kind of the fate the who's look more human and so he ended up putting it having it redone and then then that was with the whole thing where richard edland then wanted to do the entire uh he, he wanted to make one practical shot i believe instead of doing a compositing thing and that's where i think they actually had what the the miniature door um to the left of the screen and then had the uh, a, a real size door maybe like towards the towards the camera and then craig t nielsen on the one side so basically if you looked at it from the right angle everything was in the right uh perspective yeah and he had a special camera that was able to keep i think everything everything in the same depth of field so it all looked like it was all in the same you know everything was in a line when in reality everything was in a different line because all the sizes were different right yeah so they built that that forced perspective model of the doorway that was like only 15 inches high right and they, it was a uh, the to to keep them both in focus at the same time having this little one so close to the lens and then the real full size one far away they had richard edland had designed a lens kind of a tilt lens like i don't know if you've seen like uh lens baby lenses where you can mm-hmm. like you can you can tilt the lens one way or the other and like create this focus line that's diagonal through your scene it's like kind of that same kind of concept in the lenses um so it, it could keep both of those in focus both that little model that was real close to the camera and the actual you know craig and the real doorway further away it was like cheaper than the first version, but right. I think it was like super effective. It looked- and they could do it all at once. Yeah, they could just do the whole thing all at all at once, and then and then having it smash through the I guess it smashes through the walls as well. And so they use like a kind yeah, of a fiber so also doorway. Yeah, and uh, and the new skull was sculpted by uh, model maker Paul Houston, and it had like little light bulbs in its eye sockets and CO two vapor coming out of its eyes, so it was like kind of had this weird glow. Yeah, like coming out of the mouth. And and apparently that stuff in the um in the bedroom, uh, since they had so much light pouring out of the closet and everything, it actually became dangerous. It was like uh if you go back and listen to episode one of the podcast where you were talking about the the last shots, you know, when they when uh De- Commander Decker and Ilya become one with V'ger and there's like this, you know, giant xenon bulb, like, you know, uh airplane landing light right. <laughs> shining at them and they actually like got retina damage well apparently that happened again <laughs> well yeah didn't they say that someone wore like a welding mask when they were shooting the scene yeah um because it was so bright yep and uh craig t nelson had to wear like these nd filter contacts um <laughs> so that it would like cut down on the light levels going into his eyes um but several crew members got like essentially you know sunburns from these carbon arc lights. <laughs> oh my God. And, uh, Victor even had, you know, he like tried to not look at it, but he was, as she was shooting the scene, but he got light reflected into his eyes. And even that was enough to like give him retina damage. And he had to wear an eye patch for, you know, days after that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
like you know you gotta you guys gotta be careful with these like you know, <laughs> 50k bulbs <laughs> and uh joe beth williams comes out with like gray on her at her temples like just from this experience yeah after she's fallen out and then like the very first thing she does is go color her hair it's like no that looks really cool you should keep that right right <laughs> Yeah, I, that, that was like that's another one of those little moments. That it's kind of neat that she was actually changed from it, like physically, with the yeah. uh, with that. It, it was like, um, what was it in uh, I see dead people? Uh, <laughs> the, the six the, the sixth six element. The, the, that's the not right. The sixth sense. <laughs> the fifth <laughs> element, and it's the sixth sense, right. and it's the seventh sign. Um, right. <laughs> but no, but the, in the uh, the sixth sense, yeah, because a little uh, Haley Joel Osment, you know, I guess that's maybe another thing. You know, there's always ectoplasm involved in ghosts, and then that little bit of uh, silver when you when you uh, deal with a ghost as well. Mm. So maybe they took maybe M Night Shyamalan took that from uh, Steven Spielberg from uh, from Poltergeist, mm. and, and of course that leads to the the thing which with because uh, she has to color her hair, so that leads right. to you know the next the next thing. That that you should never get naked in a horror movie is that the thing? <laughs> well, no. well, I was thinking that you, you know she she puts the um, she, since she goes she goes to color her hair then she has to uh, blow dry her hair and of course you know when you blow dry your hair you can't hear the children screaming because there's you know esophagus oh, forming right. in there in their um, right in their uh, <laughs> and and they're also too I have to say the kids are very forgiving after all the stuff mm-hmm. that's happened in their room they're like ah oh, you know I'll go back into the room. You know, that's okay. Yeah. I think it's all, it's all done, you know? It's it's totally uh, fine. I don't mind being sucked into my closet again. Well, <laughs> right, right. oh, at least they get saved this time. Yes, yes. But yeah, so, so Joe Beth Williams goes, colors her hair, comes back, blow-drying her hair, and uh, that's when the, uh, I, think it's, I think it's when the clown attacks, right, initially? Is that when the the clown is going after the little well, boy? Well, so that's, that's happening to the kids, she like just goes to lay down on the bed for a minute or whatever, read a book or something. I don't know. And then that's when she starts getting shoved up the walls and across the ceiling and all that with a giant gimbal, you know, version of the, I'm, I'm making gestures to my yeah, across right. Skype here, but you can't see, see that. Right. It's Sorry, kind of like a, listeners. yes. Yeah. So the turning house, I'm doing it as well <laughs> with the finger, finger pointing and turning. But I, I wonder. It doesn't say in the, in the article how many how many takes that took. But I would imagine it would take a, a while for the actor to get it just right because it seems like it really, you know, how she kind of squirms across the ceiling and how yeah, it works. You it, have to it, really time your motion to exactly where the house is. It, yeah, I would think she could kind of. It looked like the way the gimbal was built, you could kind of see the edge of the set and kind mm-hmm. of get a sense for where you were in the rotation right. cycle. Right. But still, yeah, I'm sure it. That's a tricky move. Right, and especially too, because I, I, at some point with the, I guess like the camera operator would would kind of have to be upside down. He's all strapped in too behind the camera, yep. looking at it because he's still following it too the entire time. There's a, a little like I don't know seven minute behind the scenes thing that was made at the time of the movie that that shows a shot of him like there's the camera, the tripod is bolted down to the ground, the the camera is bolted to the tripod, and he is like strapped in with like 20 seat belts. <laughs> like, <laughs> this kind of webbing, <laughs> keeping him in place. So then, yeah, so that's when she goes in there, there's the, uh, she discovers she, she like, she hears the kids, she hasn't gotten there yet. She, oh, well, in the, in the kids' room, we see that the closet has transformed into the esophagus, 
which is this like crazy gross thing. Yeah, another another allusion to uh, Alien that they that yeah. they they felt, which is uh yeah, just this breathing undulating tube that's right. that's got colored water going through it, lights attached to it, so it actually looks like like a piece of intestine. Right, and it's um they uh, I thought it was interesting. They said it's usually a real kind of pain to light a tunnel you know just like get the get the lighting in there properly but because of the translucent materials that they made it out of they could light it from the exterior and it could just it looked even creepier that way kind of glowing and pulsing and undulating and the like pieces of it were held with like plexiglass shapes that had been cut out kind of to ring around it mm-hmm. and then those were hung on bungee cords so it's it kind of had this this motion of its own almost right and this and this was the thing as well that didn't it, it they had like little buttons that you could press right that would make it that would make it move oh yeah and, and spielberg and, came on the set and he was like oh i want to play with that right right and then he, <laughs> he walked away saying this is the best day i've ever had on the set <laughs> because yeah. he got to play with his esophagus and move it side to side like yeah, yeah i mean it'd be pretty cool to have a remote control esophagus i mean who gets to do that yeah i mean if you're gonna spend all that money on it at least you're gonna have fun with it right 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 well i think too with this translucent uh esophagus too i think one of the things too was all these things you have to deal with i think they, they had to worry about too seeing the wires too that that held mm-hmm. this this thing in place so there was all those there was another another aspect of that of that esophagus that they needed to to worry about and, and and essentially too with this this is this uh this scene they're on a they're, they're on a gimbal again right the this uh well the the esophagus was a half size model yes, that was yes. composited in um but then yes the kids are on the gimbal and you know legs flailing across the opening where they're going to mat in the esophagus so they had to do roto mats around that right but apparently like both in that and then the next thing we see is the, is the beast in the hallway. Yes. Is what they call it, which I, I kind of thought, you know, there might be some a more uh, comprehensible name that they would call it. Like Besides the to beast. To explain why there's this thing in the hallway. But I, every time I look at that, it's like a big skeleton thing, but it's like very weirdly proportioned. Every time I look at it, I, I kind of think, well, it kind of looks like a dog or something, but... But no, if you look at the way the pelvis is and everything, I guess it's human, just like strangely elongated or yeah, it's like half know. dog, half person, whatever that yeah. is. It's a dog person, the dogson, the um, <laughs> well, because yeah, and, and well, it would make sense though too. I mean, it's a spirit, and it's but it's also guarding the door, so she can't get in. Mm-hmm. So that would make sense. That it is kind of has that you know, oh yeah, that, that so. kind of dog, that dog, that dog quality. But then it's also yeah. some sort of creepy person. Because it has those really long arms, uh, the sinewy, bony, veiny arms. And, and that was the thing that like both the esophagus and this creature were supposed to have this stuff called silum running through it. Instead of the colored water, it right. was going to be this. It's like the stuff in it's, well, the official scientific name is diphenyl oxalate, which is the, the stuff that's in glow sticks. Yes. <clears throat> which is, yeah, O2H76N4, I believe is the wow. sign. Wow. Uh, I just changed it up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <clears throat> um, but they discovered that, like, it, it didn't look that great on camera because it required an incredible amount of UV light for it to glow enough for it to look good on camera. Mm-hmm. And it only did so for about five minutes before it kind of died off. Right. And and add to that that it kind of corroded everything it touched. Right. Yeah, it was very toxic, right? It was very bad for 
people yeah. and things. And nobody, yeah. nobody wanted to work wanted with it. Wanted to work with it, yeah. So they end up using the colored water instead. But they, oh, oh uh, fun fact, when I was researching Siloom, they also now make a product called iDirt, which is, which sounds like an Apple device, right? But it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's infrared emitting dirt like substance that can be like, you can spread it around and then you can put on like night vision goggles uh-huh. and see if somebody has walked through it. Oh, wow. It's like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> And it's actually a controlled uh, military substance. You can't buy it. Oh, so it's a little, yeah. So, uh, so you can see if someone's kind of sneaking into your, into your place or not, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just um, like, oh, this must be crazy toxic stuff that it just sticks to everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't, I can't blame the effects guys for not wanting to deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to deal with, I don't want to do that. (laughs) <laughs> well, this was wasn't this another thing too? They had the two different models. This was they they were going to do two two different things with this, right? With between the the animation and the real the real uh, the real skeleton dog beast, because they ended up shooting this beast in the, in a water tank with all the hair, mm-hmm. so they could make it all uh, flowy, um, right? And then composite it, and then and then composite into the scene. But I thought they were going to use a model there too. But uh, but I do I, but I do know that they when they did it because they composited it and then they actually had to do Brodo on Joe with Williams because they they didn't want to have her off to the side of that scene when they were compositing oh, the piece right. in front of the door they actually right. wanted to have her like look like she was interacting because otherwise it would look like two dis- two desperate uh, situations um, right but but they did shoot they did have to shoot the uh, the beast in the water tank at the exact same perspective and angle. I believe mm-hmm. as the as the house with the the stairs running up to it, so they could composite it properly in that right. in that scene. And then she runs out, tries to get around it, and she slips and falls into the pool, the aforementioned pool of Indiana Jones skeletons. Yeah, I know we and... talked about that way too early, didn't we? <laughs> we talked about that. Those thing. were super fun. <laughs> it was like yeah, it's one of the greatest parts <laughs> of the. It's just this awesome part of the movie. I mean, just when you think yeah. everything is like. Can I get a break? Okay. Skeletons start popping up out of the water. Where did that come yeah. from? I was just like, wow. And then uh, the Craig Nelson's boss comes over and he's like, what's going on, Craig? How's it going? <laughs> anything anything new happening? And Craig Nelson is like screaming at him. You didn't move the bodies! <laughs> and then there's bodies exploding out of the ground everywhere and the aforementioned skeleton with cat. Yeah, and his boss doesn't really deny what he did. He was like, ah. You caught me. I thought I could get away with it. Uh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> What's the problem? The headstones moved. People can go grieve wherever. That's not a problem, right? Oh, my gosh. And then the, uh, the, then the daughter comes driving up with the... Uh, what? I was, like, realizing, wait, where's the older daughter in all of this? I hope she's, like, at a friend's house or something. And then, yeah, she drives up. Well, this is that weird part, which is another kind of like fun, like I always see like a Spielberg kind of like moment where, you know, they, they, where we're going to meet at this hotel on, on I-74. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. Oh, you do? And, and yeah. then the daughter's like, oh, no, no, I've never, I don't know what it is. And she actually, she gets out of the car. Her yeah. boyfriend, I don't know if you noticed another little Spielberg thing. She's got a hickey on her neck. Um, <laughs> no, which, I did not. Which is like that. a really, you know, this really small like detail. But, you know, it's like kind of a funny <laughs> A funny addition to it. She gets out. She's got a hickey on her neck, but her whole house is well. The, the well, you know the huge scene of the movie. Yeah, they everybody get in the car. Don't look back. <laughs> I, I love that from Craig Nelson. Is like really? Is that going to help? 
Is it (laughs) turning into a pillar of salt? What's going on? And then another little nice touch there is they're driving away from the house. There is actually fire that explodes out of a fire hydrant. Oh, I didn't see that. Another great (laughs) moment. Another just brilliant moment. (laughs) Something that's supposed to put out fires. Right. Is Is that irony? I believe so. Yeah. So, yeah, the last big effect, the house imploding into some sort of singularity. As the as uh, Craig's boss just stands there and watches it happen, which is it looks so awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed looking how good that shot looks, and like seeing the story in the Cinefix article of like what they went through to try and get it to work. Right? How many different take? How many how many different processes to see so the house will do? Because they don't want a collapsing house. They don't want right. it to just to fall to pieces and go away. It's got to be a house that just right. pulls away and then goes through and then just kind of implodes in in a little anti-matter like the reverse of the, the reverse of the big bang like it just you know and how they're going to do that edlin said it described it as we like somehow we have to pull this house through the eye of a needle right yeah so all these the bricks and the and the wood and the and the, and the tile and the roof and the shingles everything get compressed and go away so the they tried some ideas with like plaster houses and balsa wood houses and like hooking a vacuum chamber up to it and none of that looked good apparently. Right. Well, because also too some of the things were just too heavy. I mean, it was like funny because they kept saying a lot of these things were just too heavy to use. Even balsa wood, which is super light, it was yeah. just it was too heavy to get to what they wanted wanted it to do. Right, and they they said yeah they said um, they liked the way the that plaster or uh, Durham rock putty. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, they what used that it is. in the scene with the uh, with the head breaking through the uh, closet door. Oh, okay. So it gives it a nice crumbling look, but even that, it wouldn't break with the tension wires that they had hooked up to it. So, <laughs> and they tried like a thin layer of the putty on rice paper for the the sides, and that like, it broke up really nice. But it it had to be reinforced to stay with the rest of the house because otherwise it would just it would just rip apart. Uh, yeah, the balsa wood was too heavy. And, you know, and they were like trying to do it with the like live levers attached to these these cables mm-hmm. and, you know, yanking the lever and, and trying like crush different parts of the house in sequence. And the house was still too strong and it didn't really work. And in in sequence either, because it was like they had to shoot it at such a high speed to make it look like a real full size house right. that they couldn't get the stage hands to pull the levers fast enough in sequence and to make it look good well because they didn't have like 40 wires or something connected in, in within the, the house something. yeah something crazy they, but they came out their final recipe was that the the wall they had like the the rice paper and plaster walls that contained foam studs and little bits of balsa wood on the facade to to for the wood trim and uh they built a framework inside out of pine which mm-hmm. seems to me like even way sturdier than balsa wood so how right. is that going to work but right, they, right. i think it was like something about the way they needed it to collapse they had to build this special framework inside to so click collapse the right way exactly yeah they were, they were a little vague about that part in the cinefix <laughs> article didn't want to give away all the special sauce <laughs> right, i guess <laughs> but then you know they even built like little tiny garbage cans and tv sets and drapes and furniture and carved carved that stuff out of foam so that if it happened to show up while they're collapsing it at least it would look like it was a real occupied house right right um and it took them four months to build the final house man and it would, and, and they and then they ended up shooting it 
from with the camera on the ceiling looking down too so everything right. would fall in the in the right right direction so it's got a kind of a funnel down below it that's the chute and the the cables going through the chute attached to a forklift right because <laughs> like guys with levers wasn't enough to right. <laughs> rip everything apart i guess um and it was shot at 360 frames per second on a 35 millimeter anamorphic camera because they, they usually shoot all of the effect stuff in VistaVision, which is a, a it's a horizontal uh, 35 millimeter format and using um, uh, eight perfs. Yeah, that's the word I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's eight perfs wide. So it's this huge frame for it's you know turning 35 millimeter on its side and using the long length of the film to make the wide part of the frame. Um, so you can get, you know, all this detail in there. Cause mm-hmm. you know, if this is still opticals before any sort of digital compositing, so right, right. Like you got to start with like super crazy resolutions so that when you duplicate it and make it five generations down, it still looks like decent film. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but they couldn't get a, a Vista vision camera that went that fast. So they had to do it at 35 mil. And of course, high speed means less exposure time Mm -hmm. because you you just you don't have that exposure so you gotta pour massive massive amounts of light onto this thing so it's like um this is where yeah bill the the cameraman bill neal said he wore welding glasses during the shoot for that right because it was so bright (laughs) yeah and and oddly enough the cinefx article doesn't include the oft-repeated story that i've heard of richard edland having to come in and shoot the house with a shotgun to get it to implode. <laughs> oh, wow. So now I'm not sure if that's true or not, because you would think they would have mentioned that. Yeah, you'd think that would be a big <laughs> a big uh, story from that. Yeah. Mentioning the, but, the, 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 the effects supervisor using a shotgun on the house to get it to, yeah. get it to implode. Well, they did. Uh, I talked to Thane Morris in episode six of the podcast about uh, what they did on Raiders of the Lost Ark and when they did uh, the exploding head of a Belloc uh, at the end of Raiders, he, they did use shotguns for that to get it to explode properly. So. Oh, right, right, right. The very so end. So maybe that was just common practice then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a much different time. <laughs> it was neat that, that the uh, when they when they did the, um, I guess they had to reshoot that where the house was because obviously the house was there, and so uh-huh. they had the the matte painter repaint that whole that shot with the house there. And then he repainted the lot without the house. So that was how they were able to to have a blank frame, essentially, that didn't have the house in it. So they could put this this fake house in it, which is another just mind boggling thing. How they can <laughs> how they can how this guy is talented enough to paint out a house and it actually looks like it just matches it. And um, then, uh, you know, and not in effect, but just I just love this that final shot of them like they finally get to the holiday inn which has this great neon sign right when did they stop using those those are awesome they yeah they were all, they are those. awesome but then then you know they get up to their room and and the door closes and then a moment later the door opens again and they roll the tv out onto the raining balcony right which is <laughs> so like, great go in and close the door yeah i'm aware too that's that shot is just so neat because it's all one take too you know them mm-hmm. coming up, the you know coming uh, you know along the, the the balcony there to the to the to the door. They open it, and the whole time it's there. You know, and actually, you know, it feels like the camera's actually on the on the balcony, and then it kind mm-hmm. of comes back, and then goes over the balcony and goes across the parking lot. Just, uh-huh. just a really really neat long shot, and good way yeah. to end. The, a great last shot. Yeah, uh, and then the music score comes in. 
and then and then we uh, go uh, offline for the evening and play the national anthem. Oh man, there's so much great stuff in that movie, and and a lot of it, a lot of it still holds up great these days. I think I think it's a little the 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 face peeling apart the guy in the mirror mm-hmm. is a little rough looking at it now. Yeah, it's like oh okay, suddenly we switched to a rubber head. Right, right. Um, I mean, they did an amazing job on it, but it's it's uh, I guess our our level of realism that we expect now is has gone up. Right, he was like in Terminator when he pulls out his eyeball. You know, you kind of know right. between the fake, the fake Arnold and the not fake. Um, but you know, it's so funny. It's so funny because just in that scene, it's so, it's so. Um, when he's peeling his face apart, it's just so, uh, <laughs> it's so freaky and you're so unexpected. <laughs> so it's just another yeah. one of those just iconic scenes in there. So I, I really enjoyed revisiting that. I, I did too. I just looking at that movie. I mean, it's it's just a. I mean, it's just a great movie. I mean, on just a lot of levels, just the story wise. I mean, obviously, just all the work that goes into it. But there's just so many little <laughs> little touches throughout the whole thing that just are just make it just a fun a fun movie to watch. Yeah, and yeah, uh, definitely. And the building of a lot of a lot of the drama of of the things in there. Just I even it occurred to me when the the parapsychologists are in in the house and you have they have these monitors set up. And they have that camera moving and it's just it's it's so interesting because you don't know you have three things to look at you have the the actual thing and then you have these monitors in front of you and like what what's going to happen where you know you're kind of looking around like what's going to shock me here and uh <laughs> and it's uh and, and, and then the camera kind of moves around and and it's it's there's no effects in 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 that but it's just it, it's so i don't know thrilling and there's just tons of those moments in there and then on top of that so there's thrilling anyways and then they add all these incredible effects that just really freak you out. It was a great, great movie to, to watch again. And, uh, you know, it teaches you a German word as well. Oh, is poltergeist a German one? Yeah, poltergeist. Yeah, noisy ghost. Right? Huh. <laughs> no, no, I learned something. <laughs> right. I didn't know that before. I, don't, I, was, I was researching the VFX. I didn't look up the word. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Um, you can go to the optical podcast site and you can see a logo that I did. Um, <laughs> there's one place that I'm very happy about. Um, excellent. Yeah. And, uh, you can go to, you can come to Zambia and see me. It's got the one of the seventh wonders of the world. So <laughs> which one is that? Yeah. It's Victoria falls. Oh yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's a waterfall about almost a mile longer than a mile across. So, oh wow. Yeah. Come visit me here very cool (laughs) well mike thank you for uh coming on and chatting about poltergeist with us you're you're gonna come back and uh talk about firefox soon yeah yes yes if you'll have me i would be i'm yes very much looking forward to that i would love to yes thank you mark it's been very (laughs) fun you can find our website and the show notes for this episode at opticalpodcast.com. We're also available on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud at Optical Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. It's free and easy to do. Just search for Optical in the podcast section of iTunes or follow the link from our website. Thanks also to Cinefx Magazine for sponsoring us. And a reminder that you can go to Cinefx.com to order Cinefx 140, covering Interstellar, The Zero Theorem, 
Exodus Gods and Kings, and an in-depth Q&A session with Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis of ADI. And don't forget, you can get issue 140 and every other back issue of Cinefx all the way back to issue 1 in the Cinefx iPad app. And that includes issue 10 from October 1982 with great in-depth articles on Poltergeist and Firefox. Thanks also to the training videos at lynda.com. And remember, you can get your free 10-day trial at lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash optical. Thanks also to Mike Gower for chatting with us. Thanks to Digital Drew for the music in this episode. And you can find more of his music at digitaldrew.com. That's D-R-O-O dot com. And thanks to Mike Gower for designing our Aperture logo. I'm your host, Mark Bosco. See you next time.